My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Patience is a virtue. When our clear-eyed Fed chief, Jay Powell, doubled down on his on patience in his speech today. By the way, he used the word eight times. Rather than pushing for more rate hikes, the stock market just roared. It took off. Dow surging 435 points. S&P jumping 1.55%. NASDAQ falling 2.2%. Powell made the right call. I salute him. Yet all day I had to listen to supposed experts whining about how he's caving to his critics or bowing to the stock market and generally undermining the credibility of the Federal Reserve. Okay, I got a word for that. It's called lunacy. The Fed doesn't exist in a vacuum. Their decisions are based on the state of the economy. Powell opted to exercise patience because the last time he got impatient, back in October, he caused a level of fear and uncertainty. It practically brought the credit and equity markets to the knees. In October, Powell figured he had a good uh, read on the economy, right? So he proposed four more rate hikes and pretty much turned into a one-man wrecking crew. That's what happens when the Fed is too hasty. Look, I know I've been relentless on this issue, but I didn't want another... They know nothing! They know nothing! They know nothing! ...moment. In 2007, I urged the Fed to start cutting interest rates because they were crushing the economy. And what happened? They all laughed at me. Like that scene in Carrie when John Travolta dumped the pig blood all over They're all going to laugh at me. Now, like then, I chose not to rely on the Fed's anecdotal, I think almost shoddy data. I insisted Powell needed to do more homework and make more calls to get a better sense of what was really occurring because this plan for former rate hikes would have strangled the life out of the economy. Not to toot my own horn, but he was right. He did more homework. What did he find? That I was right. The Fed was really only looking at employment growth before that. They figured that that was the only thing that mattered. They didn't seem to care about the slowing growth in China or Brexit or the possibility of a government shutdown here in the U.S., what Jay Powell now calls the cross currents. That's okay. That's okay. Fortunately, common sense won out. Today, Powell expressed a need for caution. He said he's adopting a wait-and-see approach like we've called for endlessly here. He explained that there's really no need to tighten as long as inflation stays this low. The truth is the case for higher interest rates has weakened because of an economic slowdown. The Fed simply didn't see coming back in October when Powell laid out his, his now, in retrospect, reckless game plan. In the words of the late, great John Maynard Keynes, the father of macroeconomics, when the facts change, you change your mind. Well, the facts change. Fortunately, Powell changed his mind with it. Now, some would argue that Powell made a mistake, that he's simply capitulating to people like me who want higher stock prices. I hate this talk. Sure, I love higher stock prices, all but short sellers do, but that's not the point and has never been the point. We'll do this show whether the market's up or down. I mean, come on. You think that's what it's about for me? You think I play for dinner? This is about the economy. Who doesn't want a healthy economy? If Powell had stuck to his plan for a series of lockstep rate hikes, it would have been a lot more devastation to Main Street than to Wall Street. And frankly, there's no good faith argument for a rate hike here. Inflation is low. The global economy is slowing. Our economy is slow, too. It would be insane for the Fed to tighten into weakness. 
Everybody knows you tighten into strength, not weakness. Look, I just want our central bank to be prudent. I'm not saying we need easy money from here to eternity, just the opposite. But as Powell himself tacitly acknowledged, sticking to his earlier plan for three more rate hikes would have crushed the current economic expansion. Who wants to do that? Now, I must have spoken to 100 CEOs, all but one of whom agreed. One that uh, agreed with me that the Fed was poised to kill the business cycle in a quixotic quest to stamp out non-existent inflation. Most of these execs said that if Powell simply exercised some patience, he'd see that he's already slowed down the economy enough to prevent inflation from becoming a problem. He won. Luckily, he took this critique seriously and he did the right thing. So let's go over what Powell saw, what changed Powell's mind, okay? First, almost every other country on Earth is experiencing a downturn that's steepening, and he simply couldn't ignore it any longer. Second, the dollar got so darn strong because of these rate hikes that the American companies were really losing their competitive advantage. More on that later, including a big one. Uh, Third, retail slowed dramatically after Black Friday. Why? The only thing I can think of is that it happened after Powell's imprudent comments about the need for more rate hikes. The deceleration was incredibly stark going into Christmas. Fourth, some of the recent strength in our economy was simply about companies pushing their orders forward to beat the President's China tariffs, which are set to rise from 10% to 25% in the near future. Don't believe me, go read the Union Pacific Conference call. Fifth, housing took a big hit when mortgage rates soared higher so quickly. Housing makes up 10% of the economy, but as I always say, it punches above its weight. Sixth, we saw a definitive downturn in many of the basic building blocks of commerce, like the base chemicals, liner board, always are early indicators of slowdown, always have been, always will be. Seventh, the price of oil plummeted in part because of the slowdown in the global economy. Eighth, the government shutdown exacerbated the slowdown, and that could easily come back if the president can't reach an agreement with Nancy Pelosi in the next couple of weeks. Nine, travel and leisure slowed dramatically, as we heard from the airlines and from the hotel chains. It couldn't be more stark than that. Finally, number 10, the auto industry just can't get any, any momentum, any traction at all, in part because car loans have gotten more expensive. Against all these negatives, you've got a very strong labor market. Okay, it is hard to find good employees. Businesses have had to pay workers more. But when you see 200,000 people being hired every single month with relatively small increases in wages, especially, especially versus the bosses, then maybe we've been underestimating the pool of workers that's available. Maybe the Labor Department is using 20th century technology to figure this stuff out. They should just go hire. Adobe or Amazon calculate the data better. Remember, the labor participation rate is still down big since 2007. So while it's terrific that stocks rallied today, that's not why Powell chose patience. Don't denigrate him like that. Take him as a victory of prudence over recklessness. Don't listen to the Fed watchers who claim that Powell caved to the stock market of the president. That's also denigrating this man. The only thing Powell caved to is reality. He didn't want to be the guy who ended the expansion. He didn't want to be the reason we went into recession. He didn't want to end the cycle. I salute Chairman Powell for not wanting to hurt Main Street, for not wanting to throw people out of work needlessly, for not wanting to crush the economy. Now, part of prudence is recognizing that if the economy does heat up instead of slackening as it was, Powell can come right back and tighten. Hey, if that's what we need, that's what it'll do. I applaud that flexibility. But the bottom line, what matters to me is that Powell listened. He changed course and he listened. In 2007, I screamed and screamed and screamed that Main Street was about to be eviscerated. I totally failed. 100%. TV talk show, nothing. Okay? No one listened. This time we headed, headed off a downturn. We stopped the end of cycle talk. What a win for the American people. So thanks, Jay. Thank, thanks for getting it right. For embracing common sense, pragmatism, and prudence. You did the right thing for the American people. And hey, it also had the added advantage of being the right thing for the stock market. Dewey in Illinois. Dewey! Hey, Jim, long-time listener, first-time caller. Excellent. First, I want to thank you for offering your show as a podcast. I have not missed a show in over five years. Love. Thank you. My, 
Yep, my stock is CHEG, symbol CHGG. You had the CEO, CEO on in February of 2016. I liked what I heard in that segment and bought the stock. Again, following your advice, um, when the stock got up 50%, I uh, got my original investment out and then kind of forgot about the stock. Well, just recently, and again today, it hit a 52-week high. Um, and I've noticed, um, looking at the position, it's up over 750% since I purchased it. Now, this only makes up about 1% of my portfolio. Do I keep letting it run? You took out the house's money, and the rule is you let the rest run. Congratulations to Dan Rosenzweig. You came on the show when the stock was literally a tenth of where it is and pretty much gave you an impassioned plea not to give up. I bought into it, well, in part because my kids love the product. In part because as I look at Regina Gilgan, my executive producer, we thought that that was one of the most potent and sincere views that the stock was undervalued. Man knew his own company. Nick in New York, in New York. Nick. James, booyah. booyah. How are you? I want to ask your opinion. Okay. I, I want to ask your opinion on the stock Lockheed Martin. All right. Okay. I know that Lockheed Martin has orders of over 400 planes, F-35s. And I know that also that uh, Boeing has reported a strong fourth quarter. Where do you think that $617 billion of budget for defense is going to go? Well, I got to tell you, Lockheed's number is just so-so. I was a little let down, frankly. Uh, General Dynamics uh, reported just a, you know, a, a, a kind of number that was uh, awful. And, uh, and Boeing is in a class by itself. The 737 is remarkable. What a great job Molenberg did. I like it. That's the one to go with. Let's go to Alex in Oregon, where my daughter lives. Alex. Jim, Monsignor Kramer, uh, we've got a question regarding Gold Corp. I've held it for quite a while. I'm down quite a bit on it. They've just been bought up by Newmont Mines. And uh, should I turn the stock over? You want the, the new mine. You want the new mine. Like we look, we like the Rand Gold, which then became Barrick. But we're big gold believers here. Now gold took out 1300 We think gold's going to 1400 1500 We suggest that everybody have a little bit of gold in their portfolio, and I feel really good about that. All right. Thank you, Jerome Powell, for getting it right. You couldn't have done a better job. Hey, listen, when we see people get it right, we change our minds, too. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, on the biggest football Sunday of the year, in the U.S. alone, Domino's delivery drivers will cover the equivalent of about 460 round trips from Boston to Los Angeles. Why would you want to do that? Anyway, tonight I'm talking to the CEO ahead of the big game. Then, more money, more problems. I'm telling you how the strong dollar is biting into Apple's potential. And some of the country's largest companies, including FedEx, Walmart, and J.P. Morgan, are relying on ServiceNow to create the change. So, I mean, they create and change big time if you see what that's been doing. Let's talk to the CEO after earnings. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. At Domino's, we love pizza as much as you do. That's why we're giving you Pizza the Pie rewards points for eating any pizza from anywhere. Pizza from here? Yep. How about from here? That's right. Homemade pizza? I guess. Homemade pizza? That's a little better. Yep. You heard that right. 
Earlier today, Domino's announced a new promotion. Points for pies, where you send them pictures of pizza, any pizza, even pizza bagels. After six admissions, they give you a free pie. I think it's a smart way for the company to promote its new artificial intelligence technology, AI. So as Domino's got in this group back, look, when the company reported a good but not perfect quarter in October, some international weakness, the stock got pulverized, in part because the market was not in a forgiving mood. But earlier this month, the world's largest pizza chain held it really good annual investor day where management told a very compelling story and the stock caught fire running from 246 to 275. That's where it is right now. Do not take this from me. Let's check in with Rich Allison, the CEO of Domino's. Learn more about this incredible promotion. His company's plans for the big game, by the way, it's called the Super Bowl and where the business is headed. Mr. Allison, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. All right, Rich, I got it. I'm confused. My wife was working at the Longstormer last night. She made 22 pizza pies because she was working the pizza oven. Are you telling me if I took six pictures, I get the kind of pizza I like, which is my tomato pie? Jim, we are. We're going to give piece of the pie rewards points for any pizza. So uh, our, our customers are going to be able to use uh, our great technology to take a picture of any pizza uh, send it up to us and earn 10 points toward a free Domino's pizza. Our viewers are intensely aware that you are the most technologically advanced company in your industry. What is your artificial intelligence going to show? So the, the great thing about this is uh, our team got together and created something called the Identifier. And what it does is it uses your phone to look for what they have referred to as the open-faced expression of crust, sauce, and cheese. So basically, anything that looks like a pizza, you're getting 10 points. All right, so let me ask you, you probably have done the work. How many people do you think that have not tried a Domino's are going to try because a free pizza is actually a pretty compelling offer? It is a compelling offer, Jim. And, And today, we've got more than 20 million active members of our piece of the pie uh, rewards program. So we don't know the exact number of how many customers will will come on board with us, but as the leader in the pizza category, we see this as a great opportunity, not only to grow the overall pizza category, but also to invite new customers in to download our app and to try our product. And we feel that when customers try our product, we've got the opportunity to bring them back again and again. All right, well, I use my app to order my tomato pie when I'm watching an Eagles game. I usually like to watch them at home alone because if we lose, I'm miserable. How many people watch the game on Sunday and order the pizza because they don't want to miss even the commercials? Jim, it's a huge day for us. You know, uh, Super Bowl Sunday, we're typically up about 40% over a normal Sunday. We'll sell about 2 million pizzas and about 4 million chicken wings. Does it matter that L.A. is a big market and L.A.'s in it? We know each year uh, it's it's the biggest day of the year for us. So it, it tends to not matter uh, which teams are in the game. Certainly in individual cities, maybe it does. But broadly across the U.S., it's a huge day no matter who's playing. All right, well, let's talk about your business because it, it's gotten very, very strong. But it's never weak. You had some international issues. It's come right back. You know, the Fed uh, today said, listen, they went for prudence. They went for patience. They talked about waiting. They wanted to do the right thing by Main Street. I know that a lot of your franchisees must be having problems getting uh, workers. I know Grubhub grabs a lot of workers, Caviar, Uber Eats. Uh, are they still able to get that good return when they open up a, a Domino's? They are, Jim. In fact, you know, opening up a Domino's Pizza store is still a terrific return for our franchisees. You know, across the globe, cash on cash returns are better than three years in our business. And 
Just a few weeks ago at our investor day, we released again our uh, unit level average EBITDA for our franchisees in the U.S. And once again, it went up. Uh, we're expecting it to be somewhere between $137,000 and $140,000 a unit in the U.S. in EBITDA on a Domino's pizza store that you can open for $300,000, $350,000. How are they able to get drivers? Well, you know, it's a, it's a great opportunity, uh, Jim. Driving for Domino's, because of the volume that we do out of our stores, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, we are, our drivers are able to come in and earn a lot more than they can, you know, driving for some of these uh, other businesses. And as we continue to tighten down our territories through our fortressing program, it's giving our drivers the opportunity to give, to get more runs per hour. That means more tips per hour and in turn, uh, higher wages. And in addition to, to, to a job that earns a decent wage, you know, driving at Domino's is also an opportunity potentially to be a franchisee in the long term. Over 90% of our franchisees today started as drivers or started as, uh, as uh, CSRs answering the phones in our stores. But at the same time, Rich, I've got to believe that self-driving cars is just a bonanza for, for, uh, for Domino's. Well, we've been doing some testing, Jim, as I think you know. Uh, you know, Self-driving cars will be here someday. We don't exactly know what day. But we're working hard to really try to understand how will our customer interface with that car when it pulls up to their curb because they're used to having a, a uniformed uh, Domino's pizza delivery expert bring that pizza to the door. So, so we're learning. So as the technology evolves, we're going to learn how the customer wants to interact with us and uh, we'll be ready when it does get here. One last question. You know, some uh, people I check with are saying, you know what, these guys have actually taken on a lot of debt. I always say the same thing, which your cash flow is extraordinary. Don't worry about that balance sheet. We should feel okay. You know, Jim, our business is 97% franchised globally. And what that means for us is a low level of operating leverage and very strong and stable cash flow. That allows us uh, to put some leverage on the balance sheet. And we've been running in that range of three to six times uh, EBITDA. Uh, uh, with our long-term debt. And you know what it's allowed us to do over time is to enhance the returns for our shareholders. And since 2011, we've returned over $3.5 billion of cash to our shareholders through a combination of dividends and repurchases. All right. Well, look, I, you know, I'm going to bang you on that free pizza. You know that after what I said. But congratulations on just putting up some great numbers and good luck in the Super Bowl no matter who wins. Congratulations. All right. Thanks, Jim. All right. Good to see you, Rich. That's Rich Allison, CEO of Domino's DPC. Look, you know I've been behind this one for uh, 269 points plus some dividends. I'm not backing away. That money's back here from break. If you were watching the tape this afternoon, you can see the exact moment when the bulls breathed a collective sigh of relief after today's Federal Reserve meeting. I mean, there was a lot to like. Our sometimes errant Fed chief, Jay Powell, clearly hasn't lost touch with reality, as some were worried. Yeah, that is a surprisingly rare quality in central banker. The Fed's no longer talking about the need for gradual rate hikes, no matter what. No more autopilot. Powell said his next move depends entirely on the data. Which was, of course, music to my ears since I've been drumming into his head every day. Maybe we get a rate hike. Maybe we get a rate cut. Maybe we get no change. It all depends on the facts on the ground. That's the right way to manage monetary policy. But I want to focus on one particular aspect here. It's something that's not getting enough attention, especially when it comes to trade and to earnings. And it's the dollar. 
You know what? We keep underestimating the strength of the greenback here and the weakness of nearly every other currency under the sun. The dollar is the number one reason why analysts have had to cut their estimates this earnings season. Number one reason. And interest rates have direct correlation, direct relationship with currency fluctuations. When the Fed stops tightening, it means the dollar can go down at last, which is what happened today. How much does this matter? Okay, yesterday when I got a chance to interview Tim Cook about Apple's latest quarter, I was struck by how we all just shrug when when we hear that the strong dollar hurts sales. It all comes with the territory, right? Uh, at this point, our ears just kind of, you know, I'm not listening. I'm not listening like the golem in Lord of the Rings. But a strong dollar is very bad news for American companies that are trying to compete with foreign rivals, especially when we're talking about products with a high price point like iPhones. So what's driving this? Well, we have much higher interest rates than most other developed countries, so foreign investors want to buy our bonds, and to do that, they need to buy dollars. While our economy may be decelerating, as it definitely was, it's still growing faster than, say, Europe. Our inflation, relatively tame. Employment, terrific. Even the U.S. government is stable. I know that may be hard to believe for some of you, but compared to the rest of the world, America is a bastion of stability. These factors combine to make the dollar the king, the queen, and the rook of all currencies. That's a problem. You want to know why Apple saw a gigantic 27% fall off in the Chinese market? Okay, some of that's due to a lack of subsidies by Chinese phone companies. Some of it may relate to the trade war, creating a sense of economic nationalism, as Tim Cook told me. Some of it's caused by the brutal competition, as he also said, from Huawei and Xiaomi and Oppo and Samsung. But a big part of Apple's Chinese weakness comes down to the fact the strong dollar effectively raises the price of the iPhone in comparison to the local competitors. I think it's significant enough to account for maybe three, I don't know, four percent of the decline, maybe even more. And when you're dealing with a company like Apple, that's a huge number. Apple's had to cut prices to offset the damage, but that hurts their gross margin, what they make after the cost of goods sold, more, much more than analysts seem to imagine. The strong dollar is the great untold story of this earnings period. We are endlessly that Apple can't compete any longer, that it's not innovative enough, that it's lost its cash. Will you give me a break? To me, the larger issue is that, at least in China, Apple's playing with both hands tied behind its back. It's an iconic American product, not popular in the PRC right now to be American, and its products are suddenly more expensive thanks to this amazing run in the dollar. Of course, it's not just China. In the the Turkish market, the weak lira cost Apple more than $500 million in currency translation. That's right, just converting Turkish lira into greenbacks. Their numbers in many less developed countries with weaker currencies are eye-poppingly bad. It sure isn't Apple's fault. Yet that's the crux of the problem. If you're an American company that does a lot of business overseas, the strong dollars become the bane of your existence. Hey, by the way, don't forget, Boeing had great numbers, but you have to buy Boeing planes in dollars. It's one of the few companies that demands you do that. Yesterday, when I was trying to figure out how 3M really did, I found myself awashing currency translations. Wow, what was it really? Same with Caterpillar the day before. Hey, United Technology, J&J, that was one of the worst ones. They had huge distortions because of the strong dollar. You want to know why American businesses are struggling overseas? Currency, and then there's currency and currency. So I am thrilled that the Fed has backed away from its earlier plans to keep raising interest rates. They got some horror sense. If they tighten in this environment, the greenback would spike so much it would be disastrous. Powell's more patient approach will hopefully let the dollar pull back somewhat or at least stop going higher endlessly, which is exactly we need a pause to help our companies get more competitive again. Rob in Tennessee. Rob. Hey, Mr. Kramer. Rob. Uh, I'm Rob, as you said. I'm an undergraduate student at Vanderbilt. See, we got college kids watching. Nobody else watches TV anymore? Nonsense. College kids do. They watch Mad Money. What's up? They watch Bad Money on Hulu. Uh, (laughs) Thanks for having me on. No problem. Um, My question is about how companies should balance 
buybacks and dividends to yeah. best deliver value to shareholders. Uh huh. So I understand that there are many use cases for buying shares back, but I have trouble understanding why net buybacks have grown more exponentially since 08, while net dividends have increased more linearly. Well, you know what? That's um, some of the tax code makes it so it's more advantageous to buy back. Some of the problem is with compensation of CEOs, they get to buy back. But a stock like Apple, let's just call it as it is. If Apple offered you a 3% yield, the stock would be up dramatically if they did that. And it would be a floor in the stock instead of buying back a lot of stock at 200, which is what they did the last quarter. So I am with you, but dividends are out of fashion. And yet with our viewers who care about income, they make all the sense in the world. As do stock splits because people are reluctant to buy one share if they can buy 10. It's human nature. It's just the way it is. I wish I could advise these companies, go into the boardrooms and explain to them the facts of life, but they could not care about my view. Although Jay Powell did. How about Ken in Georgia, please? Ken! Hi, Jim. Thank you for your continual great insight. I sure try. I get a lot wrong. I try to get as much right as I can. Several companies recently pre-announced their earnings, caught investors by surprise, right. and it was not pretty. No. What could uh, be the reasons for the pre-announcing? Well, a lot of it, I think, uh, the, the pre-announcement we got for NVIDIA was because they misjudged their graphical user cards. They said that they thought that it was going to be an uh, inventory issue because of cryptoid. It turns out the gaming slowed down, too, and there was some degradation in the data center. By the way, AMD did not see that, but they have a much smaller data center business. And Apple, well, what can I say? Uh, they said that January is better, which was unusual from December. Hey, by the way, I think you're up 17 points. Uh, If you had watched Tim Cook when he told us that Apple was actually doing well, maybe those 17 points don't mean anything to you. I kind of like it. All right, the strength of the greenback is having an impact on U.S. companies around the world. It is playing havoc more than most people recognize. There's much more made money at. ServiceNow, by the way, you see that after the close? It's tripled since January 2016. It looks like the move's continuing. I've got the CEO after earnings to find out what the heck is going on with that company that we have loved ever since Mr. Slootman ran it. Then the polar vortex might be bad for you and me, but I'm talking to one guy who might not mind it. Don't miss my exclusive with American Electric Power. Nick Akins always calls it like he sees it. And then all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. know why I always talk about the stock market and some kind of as being a fashion show? Because as much as we may want to believe that this business is all about numbers, then the day a lot of the action comes down to which groups are in or out of style. Take the utilities, the ultimate slow and steady safety stocks, which have lost some of their shine now that investors are less worried about the economy because Jay Powell's not trying to crush it. For example, American Electric Power, the Midwestern utility that owns the largest power distribution network in America, along with a bunch of power generation assets, reported a very good quarter last week. AP is one of the best-run utilities out there. I've always been recommended. It's got a bountiful 3.5% dividend yield, and the company just delivered some terrific numbers. Yet the stock barely budged on the news, and it's only up a little more than 3% year-to-date. Right now, the company's not getting enough credit for its fundamentals because the group is out of style. That could change, though. So let's take a closer look with Nick Akins, the chairman, president, and CEO of American Electric Power, get a better sense of how his company's doing and where it is headed. Mr. Akins, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to be with you, Jim. Okay, so Nick, let's just call it as we see it. You had a great quarter, and a lot of it has to be that your area of the country may have picked up or gotten a lot stronger because these kinds of numbers need to be celebrated. What are you doing to put up such strong figures? 
Yeah, a couple of reasons. We had a strong weather year, obviously, last year. Uh, but also, uh, for the quarter, we continue to see increases in load. Last year, we had the largest increase in, in energy demand since 2011. So uh, certainly, the economy continues to buzz along, uh, albeit it was stronger at the first part of the year than the latter part of the year. But still, uh, it's continuing at a, at a relatively tempered pace. All right, I'm so glad you mentioned that because, you know, Jay Powell was on. A lot of people feeling Jay Powell's been hypocritical as a Fed chief. He said that, you know what, we're going to tighten, we're going to tighten, we're going to tighten. And then he said, wait a second, maybe we don't have to. Maybe patience is warranted. I think, and I was very critical of him by saying he should have done more homework. Speaking to people like you, where you did see a deceleration, maybe people thought that would be the end of the cycle. I feel very buoyant by what he said, because I think that maybe you're getting new lease on life. Yeah, I think I think there continues to be advancement of the economy. Obviously, tariff impacts are having an issue issue in play here, along with the world energy economy and and certainly the strong dollar. But but there are portions of the economy that continues very strongly. And and when you look at unemployment in our territory, uh, it's the lowest it's ever been. So you're continuing to see job creation. You're continuing to see the advancement of the economy in many ways. And I think it's tempered because of these other items that are going to clarify as we go forward. All right. That's good news. I wanted to ask you, what do you I, look, we, the weather's in the news. You've got areas all over the country. You've got probably got some polar vortex going. Could you please explain to people how variable weather can actually be good for American electric power? Yeah, so typically uh, in this kind of weather where it's extremely cold, if you don't have wet snow or th- that kind of uh, issue associated with the weather itself, uh, we'll do very well because obviously the meters are turning, uh, the consumption is there, uh, and certainly with the variability of load, we, we always pattern it during the year. We compensate based upon what the weather patterns look like. Our operations change based upon weather patterns. And certainly we're in complete winter operations right now. And actually no one's even doing any maintenance or anything like that at this point because obviously the system's ready to go and we want to make sure it performs very well for our customers. And I think it's important to point out that AEP is a fantastic historical record on these kinds of events, you're just a very well-run utility. I've been thinking a lot about it. I've got to ask you about this thing. I see a lot of electric cars on the road now. I see Tesla putting up some pretty good numbers. At what point do their supercharging stations influence what American Electric Power has to do in terms of new, uh, let's say, uh, new power put on? Because this is a big and growing trend. Yes, yeah, obviously represents channel growth for us. Uh, in terms of sales to our consumers. And and certainly we're in the process of working with our regulators to put in um, uh, charging stations of various types, DC fast chargers, level two chargers, uh, to really make sure that the economy continues to not, not have that range anxiety associated with some of the electric vehicles. But electric vehicles just passed uh, a million units for the year, uh, for, uh, a million electric vehicles on the road, and we anticipate by 2025 there'll be over 18 million. So, and you got 20 different models coming out. So, we really believe uh, that this can continue to advance, and we're, we plan on being part of that along with the storage aspects of it. All right, but how about the flip side? Uh, are there people? Are there major companies that are opting out of the system, or actually wanting to throw a power back to you because of solar power? I mean, Walmart's been very committed to this, and I wonder whether this is something that you have to worry about that. Uh, that people will go off the grid other than demanding that you take their power. 
Yeah, Jim, certainly we have to look at that because, but, but, but our business is becoming more of an optimization business around the infrastructure and our ability for customers to use these various technologies. And that's why we look at the channel growth opportunities of electric vehicles, of store, energy storage, other types of analysis we can do relative to the grid itself to not only optimize drive efficiencies, uh, but also enable these other activities to occur. So we don't have a real issue with uh, certainly customers utilizing their own supply, but certainly we want to make sure it's integrated very well with the grid and contributes to the overall resiliency and reliability of the grid as well. And in fact, we have large customers like the Amazons, Googles, and so forth that insist on us providing uh, 100% renewables, for example, and we're there to, to, to uh, deliver that. All right, one last question, Nick. I, there's a great feel-good story that doesn't get told. I like to tell these stories. America has largely switched to these light bulbs that don't use nearly as much energy. Have you seen the positive, uh, accumulated nature of that switch to these better, more efficient light bulbs? Yeah, we certainly see it in the commercial side of things because if you look at our analysis of the load, of the uh, different types of load we have, industrial continues to go up, residential has gone up, commercial is coming down. And I think that's part of the tempering aspects of energy efficiency, which is a good thing, obviously, because we can further optimize the grid itself. But in the, on the other hand, uh, certainly we see consumption go down in some areas, but it's tempered tempered the regular load growth that we see, but that's fine as long as we're not having to spend large capital on large central station generation facilities and are able to optimize into these new technologies and the distributed uh, sources that are available today. Well, terrific. Congratulations on another good quarter. Congratulations on your dividends that you keep returning. And you know, I recommend your stock every time someone says need a utility, because I like companies that are well run and yours is well run. That's Nick Akins, Chairman, President, CEO of AEP. You got to stick with that situation. It's a solid one. Stable Kramer. It is time. It's time for the late look. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Skate Daddy? It's time for the lightning round. Why don't we start with Johnny in South Carolina? Johnny! Mr. Kramer, a big Carolina booyah to you. Can't get better than that. What's going on? <laughs> yes, sir. I'd like to get your thoughts and advice on Ford, Ford Motor Company. Well, they better get it better because, oh, boy, has it been nasty. They're promising me a better 2019. This is what I call a show-me stock. How about we go to Joe in Ohio? Joe. Hey, how you doing, Jim? Good, Joe. How about you? Uh, good, thank you. Uh, first, Majestic Silver. It's a, a silver mining stock. Symbol AG. AG. Okay, uh, look, silver's trading up with gold. I prefer gold. My recommendation is to buy Barrick, not this one, but silver's going higher. I need to go to Phil in New Jersey. Phil! Who are you, Dr. Kramer? How are you? I'm doing well. How about you, Phil? Good, good, thank you. I bought PepsiCo about a few weeks ago back at like $107. I know earnings are coming up and the CEO there. Resigned. Is this a good stock to keep long term? Oh, you want to own PepsiCo? They're doing terrific. As you knew, he gave them a good book of business. It's going to go higher. How about we go to Tyler in Kansas? Tyler. Hey, Jim. I just wanted to start off with a big Kansas City booyah. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Dan Hesse booyah. Hey. What's up? Yeah, so the stock I'm calling about, I had purchased this back when we had a big drop to around the $14 range. 
and that was Ben Stable in the 2021 area. Jim, what is your opinion on Horizon Pharma? Tip I don't like specialty pharma. Don't like specialty pharma. I got enough problems with big pharma. Don't need specialty pharma. Sorry, I'm going against that one. How about Clayton in Nevada? Clayton. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I am doing well. How about you, Clayton? I'm doing great. Fine Fed day, isn't it? What's going on? Uh, my stuff. My thought yes. for you today is Teladoc, T-D-O-C. Oh, man, I like Teladoc. They have the mojo. Bye, 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 They're bye, doing bye, what's bye, right bye. to help the healthcare system. I say bye. How about we go to Andrew Mallon, Andrew. Hello, how you doing, Mr. Kramer? Doing well, thank you. Well, well, I have a question, please, sure. uh, about Camp- Campbell's Soup Company. Okay. Uh, Campbell's is low risk, uh, low reward, frankly, because I don't think it's worth as much as it used to. They've really denigrated the franchise and hurt the balance sheet. And that, ladies and gentlemen, inclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Holy cow. Look at the stock of ServiceNow run. I'm always telling you to stick with powerful long-term themes. And this is why ServiceNow is one of our cloud kings. Their software platform allows businesses to automate all sorts of information technology processes, as well as other back office functions like human resources, legal, finance, IT requests, and facilities management. It is a classic cloud story. They help other companies save money on labor costs. Or if you want to put a more favorable spin on it, they enable your employees to spend more time helping customers rather than dealing with the back office stuff. Hey, ServiceNow's business is booming. Company just reported blowout quarter after the close today. 13 cent earnings beat off a 64 cent basis with higher than expected revenue up 30% year over year. Billings up an astounding 38%. This is a big company, guys. Subscription revenue up 33%. That's why even after the stock ran up nearly 5% today, it is soaring into the stratosphere in after hours trading. So let's dig deeper with John Donahoe. He's been on the show before and he's been dead right. He's the president and CEO of ServiceNow. Hear more about the quarter as company's prospects. Mr. Donahoe, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Nice to be here. John, there are so many superlatives, I don't even know what to key on. But I think we got to start by just letting you tell people how big you are now and how many huge contracts you just won. Well, Jim, we now work with 75 of the Fortune 500, 75% of the Fortune 500, I should say. So increasingly, the question in large companies and large organizations is not, are you using ServiceNow? It's why aren't you using ServiceNow? And the reason for that is that we're helping companies drive their digital transformations. We're helping them provide better experiences for their employees and their customers and helping them unlock productivity. And the power of what a cloud platform can do is just enormous as technology is changing how the future of work happens. And we're proud to be right in the middle of that. All right, so Mr. Slootman introduced us to your company and had a remarkable run. It's been two years now for you. What are the new verticals you're uh, working on? Because it seems like that you are now much a bigger part of the enterprise than when Frank was running the show. Well, what's happening, Jim, is when the history of software has been largely very functionally oriented, right? You had separate HR software from finance software from legal software. But that's not how employee experiences and customer experiences happen. They often require a very cross-functional mindset. And ServiceNow is fundamentally a cross-functional workflow platform. So we help enable great cross-functional experiences, great employee experiences. Employees don't really care if they're dealing with finance or IT or HR or facilities. They just want to have, get their problems fixed, get their questions answered, and have a good experience. And that's what ServiceNow does. 
All right, now, I think your company, like a lot of our cloud kings, got this one mission, which is to work harder for the customer. Can you give me a person's day, how much time's devoted to not customer function before ServiceNow comes in, and how much percentage of that clock is now with customer with ServiceNow? Yeah, Jim, and, and let me just use an example. One of the things I'm most excited about in 2019 is mobile is coming to the enterprise. We know how mobile has transformed our lives at home, but it's not really happening at work. And we'll be launching this year consumer-grade mobile experiences so that you can have the same benefits of mobile at work. So let me give you an example. This is a live, a live example that I was using today. Let's say you've got a problem at work with your laptop or your printer. Or there's something that's frustrating you. It used to be you had to call IT or go to your laptop. Now with your mobile device, you can take the ServiceNow application, simply take a photo of it, and with two clicks, get it identified using our image recognition and machine learning, getting it identified and fixed. With, so getting your issues fixed at work is now as easy as ordering an Uber. And so all of a sudden, instead of spending hours of frustration and, and uncertainty, you've got, you're using mobile device to, to take the administrative, redundant, repetitive, frustrating tasks out of your life so you can focus on doing the things you want, like serving customers and, and doing your creative best. And that's, that's what the power of the platform and the power of ServiceNow does. Well, I think one of the things that when I listen to you, I think to myself every time I hear you talk is, why can't I have this now? I mean, it looks like the customer has to be clamoring for this product because I was just listening to what you said about take the picture. I mean, that's what my kids know to do for certain things, for like Amex Express receipt, receipts. But this would be unbelievable if I could do that for IT. Absolutely. You know, I was blessed to be in that decade. I was at eBay, saw the power of the consumer Internet and what mobile did in our lives at home. Right. And taking advantage of the capabilities that are built into the phone, like the photo capability, like the, the image recognition capabilities, taking care of taking advantage of native capabilities and building applications that are consumer grade in the experience that hide the complexity from the users. The same way you can buy something with two clicks, you can get your issues answered or fixed at work in the same two clicks. And that's, um, we think there's enormous opportunity to transform the future of work. And mobile will play a very important role, and we want to be at the forefront of that mobile experience. But also, when I listen to you, I think about Fed Chief Jay Powell today. And a lot of people were upset he didn't raise over the course of the last week. They think there's inflation. I'm listening to what you're just talking about, John. You are a deflationary force in the world's economy, aren't you? Well, we help drive productivity. And, you know, one of the things, think about what we do. We automate workflows. That's kind of... That's kind of enterprise's language, but simply what it does is it streamlines, simplifies, and automates tasks that weren't automated before, and that drives productivity. In addition to great experiences, it drives productivity. So we see our customers investing in platforms like ServiceNow to drive productivity, and that, that will continue to you know, help fuel economic growth. And so it's not just a nice-to-have, it's a, it's a have-to-have essential part of, of, of a digital transformation agenda. One last question. Everyone tells me how bad Europe is. I, I look at your numbers, John. How did you have an acceleration in Europe? It, same reason I just mentioned, Jim. What's happening is European companies, especially in a lower economic growth environment, need productivity. Right. And one of the biggest enablers of productivity is technology. And one of the biggest enablers of 
productivity within technology is ServiceNow's platform. And so European customers are using ServiceNow to help automate workflows, enable, enable more self-help by their employees, enable more automated experiences, which allows them to get more done with less. And so an investment in ServiceNow provides great return on investment that's fueling our growth, but even more importantly, it's fueling our growth because our customers are getting clear financial benefits and productivity benefits from our platform. Well, thank you, John. You've laid it out very well, as you have all the times that you've been on Mad Money. Congratulations on a simply beautiful quarter. Great to see you, sir. Thank you, Jim. Don't say we don't present some unbelievable companies to you. John Donahoe, President and CEO of ServiceNow. I'm going to say something I usually don't do. Up 20, it's still right. Mad Money's back here today. It was Apple's turn to have a short squeeze. Tomorrow will be Facebook's turn. Let's see what it does for Fang. Remember Fang? Didn't everybody write that off? I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.